Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Climbing the Ivy on the Fan Sided Network. This is your host, Alex Pat, alongside Adam McGinnis. We have another guest on this week's show. Once again, returning to the show is Cubby's Crib writer, Brian Johnston. Brian has been on the show before. We talked a little bit back in October during the postseason when, unfortunately, the Cubs were not playing. Uh, So we're excited to have him back. And on tonight's episode, we are going to talk Sammy Sosa and Long Gone Summer. A lot has been going on in the world of baseball that doesn't actually involve baseball being played. But this is a big topic of conversation because of the documentary that's coming up uh, this weekend. So we want to talk about that. And also, the draft is happening. So we might touch on that as well. So stick around. We have a great show for you. Adam, my usual co-host, how you doing tonight? Great. Brian, welcome back to the show. Great to have you again. How are you doing? I'm doing well, and I'm glad to be here. Well, glad to have you too. All right, guys, let's get into this. Long Gone Summer, upcoming documentary from ESPN about Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire, 1998. This had been really hyped up since The Last Dance premiered, and this is not going to be like The Last Dance. It's not going to be a big, you know, multi-episode documentary. It's going to be one episode. But it is kind of funny because The Last Dance ended the actual historical event as this event was just taking shape, 1998. Um, so I think a lot of people are looking forward to this. And a lot of people are kind of going back and forth on how they feel about the whole Sosa situation as a whole. The big question is, among Cubs fans, do we bring him back? It's been a long time since he's been at Wrigley Field, since 2004. It's been a long time. A lot's happened since then. Um, He just did an interview with David Kaplan, which we're going to talk about, and we'll get into some details about that. But I guess right now, I just want to ask you guys, where do you stand on the whole Sosa Cubs thing? I'm not talking Hall of Fame. I'm not even going to get into number retiring just yet. We'll get to that later. But just bringing him back. How do you guys feel? Uh, Brian, our guest, we'll start with you. Yeah, um, you know, I have I have very complicated feelings about Sammy Sosa. And I was I was listening to that interview last night. Um, I didn't get to listen to it live. I listened to the recording of it later. And, you know, he had a lot of callers on the show and. Each of them were telling their own Sammy Sosa story, and I kind of have my own story. Um, you know, I'll just start off by saying there's a good chance I might not even be a Cubs fan if it weren't for 1998. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was, I, I started becoming a fan in 1994. Um, I was, you know, followed the team really close for a few years, and by the time the beginning of the 1998 season rolled around, I was 13 years old. I was in middle school. I had a lot going on in my life, and they were coming off, the team was coming off just a, a terrible 1997 season, and I was starting to lose interest in, in the team. And then we had uh, this, the whole Sosa hitting home runs thing. We had Kerry Wood, and we had the whole wild card chase and everything. And um, it really brought me back into the fold. And I, I heard a lot of people on that show last night expressing those same sentiments, that Sosa was sure. kind of the ones that, or kind of the one that brought them uh, back into Cubs baseball. And, you know, I have, I have just, I have mixed feelings about this and I'm not really sure exactly where I fall right now because, um, on the one hand, you know, there's, there's a lot that Sosa did wrong. 
Um, and I'm sure we're going to get into that later on, so I won't get into that quite yet. But um, on the other hand, we can't just act like the Sosa era didn't exist. 1998 is one of the most critical years in the history of Cubs baseball. It's what made the Cubs what they are today. And I don't think that the Cubs would be, I, I think Sammy Sosa is as responsible as anybody is, even more than anybody on the 2016 team or any of that. Sosa is responsible as anybody for making the Cubs what they are today. And I just, I still have some hard feelings about what Sosa did. And like I said, we'll talk about that. But for me, Sosa is kind of like um, that girlfriend that you break up with, but you still want to be friends with. It's like, I used to be I used to be a huge Sosa fanatic after the 98 season, and then I soured on him, and I tore down all my posters and and tried to get rid of some, all my Sosa baseball cards and all that. And, you know, after after a decade and a half, I think it's time to bring him back in some capacity because we have to acknowledge uh, that era of Cubs baseball. But at the same time, I still have a lot of reservations about it. I'm not going to continue collecting his baseball cards again. I'm not going to buy posters of him again uh, because I kind of feel like I kind of feel like he I, I, I to make this personal, I kind of feel like he betrayed me a little bit, um, you know, towards the end. So I, I think it's time to bring him back. But I have a lot of reservations about it. We'll talk about it as we go forward here. Yeah, and you're you're a bit older than Adam and I, so you actually witnessed the strike in '94. You saw firsthand what a big impact that had on baseball. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. Um, and you know, I we're kind of without getting into the weeds here. We're kind of seeing some shades of that right now. Sure. Uh, you know, we we you know after the strike happened and and baseball returned in 1995. You know, we had. Uh, I think there was a few instances of fans throwing money at the players on the field and stuff like that. And, and, and fans were, fans were very, very angry. And I do, and I, and, and they had every right to be uh, because, you know, it's unfortunate that we let basically money get in the way of our great game. And um, I'm, I'm really worried that that's going to happen again today, but, um, but anyway, um, you know, Sosa gets and McGuire get credit for, reviving baseball and bringing it back. I don't know. I I think that that narrative is overblown a little bit, but it was very important. And you're right. The, the strike of 94 was um, just devastating for the game. And I really hope that we don't have to go through that again here. Yeah, for sure. Adam, uh, what are your thoughts just before we get into detail, your initial thoughts? So uh, a couple things came to mind with, with what Brian said, uh, when he said, you know, we can't pretend like the 1998 season didn't happen. It's not about pretending that season didn't happen. It's about whether or not we choose to celebrate that season. That's what it's about. No, Nobody, you know, we all acknowledge that that season happened. It's, it's about whether or not we want to celebrate that season or not. Uh, and, and just as far as Sammy Sosa, you know, having something to do with making the Cubs what they are today... I don't necessarily agree with that either. I mean, they were a, a, a big market, big brand team before Sosa, and they certainly would have been after him too had he not been there. Uh, you know, there, there's no doubt, there's absolutely no doubt that Sosa's presence on the Cubs turned a lot of people onto the team and it, it rejuvenated some some baseball fans' passion. There's no doubt about that. But 
I don't subscribe to the notion that had it not been for Sosa and McGuire in 98, that baseball would have never recovered and that it, we, MLB wouldn't be what it is today. I don't believe that. I, I think that, you know, maybe it would have taken longer. Uh, it would have been a, a harder process, but I, I don't think that MLB would have perished had it not been for Sosa and McGuire. Uh, and frankly, so my my overall position on this is that no, don't don't bring him back. At the very least, he should have some contrition, and he should be man enough to fess up for for his mistakes. He, you know, people don't talk about that enough. That even to this day, he denies ever cheating, which is just an absolute slap in the face to fans. I mean, I've said it before that people should actually just feel offended that he thinks that everyone is stupid enough to believe him when he says he never used steroids, uh, that the corked bat thing was really truly just a mistake. Okay, so you feel pretty strongly against it. And, you know, that, that's interesting. I don't think you're the only one. Um, yeah, I did a poll on Twitter basically asking Cub fans, what do you think? And, you know, this is a smaller sample size. Other outlets have done polls that got a lot more answers. The one I did, it got 199 votes, so just shy of 200. Uh, I asked, yes, bring him back ASAP. No, conflicted or indifferent. 67% said yes. 17% said no. 16% said conflicted or indifferent. And, you know, Adam obviously feels no. Brian and I, I feel like we say yes, but there's still some conflicted, indifferent feelings. Would you say that's accurate for you, Brian? Yeah, and I feel like um, I, I feel like I, I do agree with the idea that Sosa has some uh, some fessing up to do. Um, uh-huh. I I don't even though he denies using steroids, and even though he, to my knowledge, never positively tested for steroids uh, under the under the uh, pr- uh, process that was in place. Um, everybody knows he did it. I mean, that's not. I, I don't think that that's much of a secret. Um, but you know, I, I think he needs to fess up for that. Um, I, the cork bat episode probably wouldn't, it'd be nice to maybe get an apology for that. But I think the, um, I think the incident that really sticks out for me is when he walked out on the team in 2004, I'd like to hear, um, and I didn't hear that addressed during the uh, interview with David Kaplan at all. Um, I'd, I'd like to see that. I, that that's what I have the biggest problem with, I think, is, is how, how it all ended in 2004. Yeah, well, I, and, I could totally understand that. And see, Sorry, go ahead, Adam. Here's, here's another part of this thing, too, is you know, it would be one thing if there was uh, you know, a huge section of fans that really, truly believed that he played clean, that he didn't use performance-enhancing drugs, that the corked bat thing really was an actual mistake. It would be one thing if a lot of people believed that and wanted him back, but everybody knows. Everybody knows, and so what this comes down to is essentially, do we choose to condone that or not? Because if we bring him back to Wrigley and we celebrate him and everything, in essence, that's that's condoning the performance-enhancing drugs and the cork bat. It's condoning cheating and saying, well, you know what? Uh, it it was good for baseball, and a lot of it gave a lot of people good, warm, fuzzy feelings. So you know the whole cheating and lying thing. It's whatever. Here's where I think things get a little gray. This you know Tom Ricketts and the Ricketts family has been very uh, big on saying he needs to uh, fess up about PEDs and you know the whole cheating thing before we consider bringing him back. Here's one thing that I must say gets me. They employed Manny Ramirez, a multiple-time offender. 
it, you know, that, well, I'm not, that I'm not saying, me. I'm not saying that there isn't, you know, uh, maybe a little bit of hypocrisy on the Cubs end of things, but I, I still see that just as an excuse to bring him back and not, not a, a legitimate reason to. That's what, that's what leads me to believe that there's got to be more under the surface to this than just, oh, well, we got to wait for him to apologize for using steroids or whatever. It, it seems to me there, there's got to be some underlying issues that the public's not aware about. That's just my guess. Well, here's something that kind of struck me, and this is kind of going back to the whole 2004 thing and the whole situation about him not being back yet. Uh, When he was asked if he has hard feelings, this is just kind of paraphrasing his quote. He said, no, not really. I don't see uh, why not that I uh, can be invited back. So basically he's wondering why he can't be invited back. Um, And then he said um, he's just trying to live his life and go forward and not hold a grudge. But, you know, towards the end, he said uh, he absolutely would want to come back. And he also believes that one day he might get his number retired there. So I still think that while he's not letting it get to him, he's hopeful that it's going to happen someday. Another interesting quote he said about the upcoming documentary he said the documentary is going to change a lot of people's minds. Now, I don't know if that is going to be true or not, but I do think that's kind of interesting that he says that um, if something is in that documentary that maybe we don't know about. I mean, there were some things in Last Dance that I did not know about. So will there be something in this upcoming documentary we, we don't know about? I don't know. One last interesting thing I want to bring up for that interview for the discussion Um Brian, you brought up 2004, the walking out of the team. You know, the whole conversation with Sosa about the locker room, the relationship with the fans, the media, and all that stuff, everything was about 1998. They don't mention 2003, 2004, the real downfall. Sosa didn't bring it up, and Kaplan didn't ask about it. I almost feel like that was intentional because, you know, we, we know. We know that the feelings from the teammates of Sammy Sosa we're not warm and fuzzy towards the end. You guys remember the boombox incident? Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was not a popular teammate. Popular no. amongst fans, but not a very popular teammate. No, no, he wasn't. And I mean, here's here's again where where things get fuzzy. You know, we we could talk about steroids on its own and the wrongs and all that stuff. It, you know, you look at the history of baseball. Cheating is not new. And neither is being a bad teammate. It's just, you know, I guess it's how the person reacts to everything a number of years later. Does time really heal wounds? And I think based on the polls, time has healed wounds. But as Brian and Adam both said, because he hasn't really come forward and saying, hey, I did some things I regret, that that changes things a little bit where some people have gone on to do things in sports that they regret and they've come forward and apologized for it. Like Mark McGuire, he completely fessed up and now he's working in baseball again. I do think that does make a big difference. And frankly, I think that's the key to him coming back. If he wants any chance of coming back, he's going to have to make an effort to extend an olive branch and maybe, you know, talk about some of the things he did. It's not just going to be like, he's going to be sitting there and all of a sudden the Cubs are going to say, you know what? I want to invite Sammy Sosa back. Well, I don't think that's how it's going to go. Here's and here's something else to think about too. 
I was thinking today, you know, say they do bring Sammy Sosa back to Wrigley Field. They have a big introduction. It's a whole big thing. Uh, you, you got 30,000 plus people standing and cheering and clapping for him. Imagine somebody there with their kid, with a young kid, say like eight years old or something. Imagine that parent having to explain Sosa's story to him, though, while everybody's up and cheering for him, for him and everything. Yeah, Sosa was, you know, he played for the Cubs a long time ago. He, he rejuvenated baseball, uh, but the show he put on was largely fraudulent, and we'll actually never know the full extent of, of his stats, whether or not they, they were legit or not. I mean, can you imagine having to explain that to a kid? It is something to think about, sure. I mean... Again, we celebrate a lot of athletes that have done a lot worse. You know, th- look at the Hall of Fame. But look the, at some but of the, the guys that are in the Hall that mean, of Fame. Does that mean the Cubs should follow suit? Does that mean the... I mean, I, I'm not talking about steroids. I'm talking about much worse. And I think sometimes you have to ask yourself where you draw a moral line. I mean, this is why we're thinking out loud. Talking about it and celebrating it are two different things. Well, well that's we're what talking, I was going to we're say. We're talking about it right now. Right. Well, that's what I'm going to say. But I also feel like if you talk about the whole era, there's going to be a lot of mixed feelings 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road. Even though time heals wounds, it's always going to be there. So this is probably one of those cases where you can't say you're going to get to a spot where it's not going to mean anything. You know what I'm saying? Right. This is this is a wound that is never going to fully heal. I mean, that's the, the steroid era of baseball is a scar on the game, without a doubt. That's never going to go away. I don't think we ever get to a point where we look back on that time and say, ah, it's whatever. It didn't matter. I just think that when we look back at this era and we talk about the Hall of Fame and all that stuff on how I, you know, I don't think those guys are getting in anytime soon. And when it comes to Sammy Sosa, you can't talk about Sammy Sosa alone and just say, yeah, he didn't get in because he was Sammy Sosa. It's like, well, no, he was part of a bigger group that didn't get in for a specific reason. Like Sosa being invited back to the Cubs is a pure Sosa Cubs thing, where Sosa getting into the Hall of Fame is something completely different that involves more than just him. And I think that eventually there's going to be people saying, you know, are we going to acknowledge this, but acknowledge it in a different way? So you have a certain area of the Hall of Fame that has these guys, but acknowledge the fact that it was in an era where certain practices were being put in place. Uh, Do you guys see that happening at, at any time? Yeah, that makes sense to me. Um, I just, I, I guess being a little bit older and having grown up in the 90s, I, I kind of just, I, I see it as I don't want my childhood and my memories of watching baseball growing up to just be excluded. That's just how I feel about it. And the other point that I want to make is that, and now this point's probably been made a hundred times before, but to say, to say, well, oh, we're going to, we're going to elect this person to the Hall of Fame, but not that person we just, we have no idea what players did or did not take steroids. I mean, we know some that did, but how do we know that the, how many, how do we know how many pitchers that Sosa faced took them, you know? And I'm not saying that two wrongs make a right. That's not what I'm saying at all. But what I'm saying is that it's just, it's, it's hard for us to 
be able to nitpick and say, well, we're going to because we have elected. There's there's a lot of players from the 90s that have gained election that without question, because there was no dispute uh, about steroids with them. And I'm not going to name any names because I don't want to start accusing people. But for those who were elected with little question, how do we know for sure? We don't. Yeah, I don't want to throw a lot of names either, but I'm sure you guys know. And I, again, I'm trying not to accuse him, but a lot of people have suspected like Jeff Bagwell or Yvonne Rodriguez. Uh, so, you know, there's always a little bit of question there. It's that's the thing. A lot of these guys that, you know, came out or are suspected of were a lot of the big names while other smaller names might have been doing it, but it wasn't as big of a deal because they weren't superstars. Well, and that's 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 part of the thing is, you know, are there some players in the Hall of Fame that took steroids and got away with it? Probably. Uh and and that sucks that you know we may never know, uh, and so you you could make the argument that because that's the case it's unfair to guys like Sosa and McGuire, uh, but you know I, I don't think so. I, I think that 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 whole era is a blemish on the game, uh, but this is still about whether or not you want to lower your standards or not. Do we lower our standards enough to say hey we know these guys cheated, put them in the Hall of Fame anyway? Is that really what we want? I mean. No, I, I don't think this is about a lack of acknowledgement. I mean, we everyone knows who Sammy Sosa is. Sammy Sosa is a household name. We all know him. Uh, we all know his history. Uh, but putting him in the hall, I mean, going into the hall is a reward. I mean, the Hall of Fame is not just an acknowledgement of, of the history of baseball. It's a reward. And do you reward liars and cheaters? Is that what we want to do? Well, unfortunately, like I've said earlier, we've rewarded some pretty bad people in the Hall of Fame. So does, does that mean that they should keep doing it? Well, I mean, that's where do you hold the standard? I mean, we're talking steroid users versus people who did much worse. That's what I'm saying. And I personally have I, I have a problem with excluding people who never actually failed a test with a testing system in place. If if there are players that um, that that were suspended uh, for because they actually were caught under the testing system, I think that that um, carries more weight than players that were just suspected of using steroids while it was still quote unquote legal. I'm not saying that it was right. I'm just saying we get into a very slippery slope if we start uh, excluding people when they never actually formally were caught doing something wrong. That's just my opinion. I mean, the other thing we have to consider with discussions like this, too, is, I mean, you see on social media especially that uh, the younger generation tends to be pretty lax towards anyone uh, in the steroid controversy. Uh, The thing we have to think about is what message does that send players now that we have, you know, large divisions of fans that say yeah you know what sosa did steroids he cheated lied all this but we still love him we still want him to come back we still think he should be in the hall of fame doesn't that then incentivize players to take steroids well no because I mean, there's if testing there's regular testing there's rules against it it's it's not about that though because what they because what they see now is that even if i get caught as long as i put on a great show Fans are still going to love me and be an advocate for me. That's the message that it sends. Because if that's the mentality with Sosa now, then why wouldn't players now feel the same way? Well, and because again, you that's get why... suspended. 
Yeah, again, that's why that's why I think that players that were officially caught under the testing system, I think that carries a lot more weight. I would have a lot less problem excluding them um, than I would players that were never officially caught when it wasn't technically against the rules. The steroid history is kind of weird in baseball. And I did a little research on this today, so I thought I'd share it on the show. So steroids were officially deemed illegal in 1991, June 7, 1991, by Commissioner Faye Vincent. August 22nd, 1998 is when they found stuff in McGuire's locker. And that, you know, sparked some controversy there. And then the first random testing didn't happen until 2001. That wasn't even in the majors. That was just the minor leagues. And then we had the testing come out in 2003, the anonymous reports, disciplinary actions in terms of suspensions that started in like 2005. So, you know, you got to admit, it's kind of weird. And I'm not saying whether something's right or wrong. It's weird that something was deemed illegal in 1991, but it really wasn't really tested for a decade later. And even more later, it was more severely punished. And people question was Bud Selig more involved? You know, there's a lot of controversy around Bud Selig, and a lot of people believe he was put in the Hall of Fame because of the revenue he generated for baseball. So it's it's a weird history. It really, really is. But now we're in an era where there is much more strict PED testing, and not just steroids. We're talking about other supplements as well. Um, because, you know, we've discovered more we learned more we've tried to move forward and you know now there's much stricter rules against it yeah. so the, you know this is a suspension is just temporary though i mean you you got to get you got to get busted multiple times to be permanently banned and i mean we still see players today getting caught i mean players today wouldn't be doing it unless there was some incentive for them to do it unless they thought there was going to be some sort of payoff from it well, I think some of the players that have been caught weren't necessarily doing it to uh, for performance enhancing. It was for other reasons, whether it's like a hormone or or something like well, that. I, I don't think have, I don't have the full I, list. I don't have the full list, but I think I think I think some of them probably know what they're doing. Well, I'm sure some do, but I'm saying there that really there is some that might there not. really is no excuse for it though either. I mean, we can make we can make all these excuses we want for players like oh, there's just you know, there's a mile long list of stuff you can't have. So it's, you know, it's whatever it happens. There's there's no excuse for it because the players know how strict it is. So there is absolutely nothing that they should be putting in their body without checking with a doctor, somebody associated with the team to make sure that it's legal. That should always be the case. I So I have no sympathy for, for players when they get caught say, I, I didn't know this was illegal, and maybe they didn't. I still have no sympathy for them because you, at this point, they should be smart enough to check on everything that they're taking. No, I mean, I agree with that. They should probably do a better job of monitoring it. There's no question about that. I think uh, I think a lot of players should be more aware of what they're putting in. And when I mean a lot of players, I mean the ones that have been suspended for PEDs. We've seen it in the minor league level. We've seen it in the major league level. You don't see it nearly as much these days in the major league level, but you do see it every now and then. Um, 
I don't think that you're going to have a full year where you don't see someone in the majors or minors not get suspended for something, whether it's a steroid or not. But, you know, it, it seems like uh, the rules being put in place at least give somewhat of a enforcement, maybe not fully, but, you know, maybe in the future they think about getting stricter with it. I don't know. But here's something interesting also uh, that was talked about on the radio the past few days. And this was former hitting coach of the Chicago Cubs uh, by the name of Jeff Petland. And he was there from like 97 to 2002. So, you know, he was there when Sosa rose to superstardom. And he claims that Sosa became a great hitter uh, with a new approach. And this is what he said. Uh, again, kind of paraphrasing a bit. Uh, one of the things I told Sammy to mention to him was his numbers against Atlanta. They were horrible. To prove yourself as an above-average Major League player or superstar, you have to fit, hit the likes of Smoltz, Glavin, and Maddox. And he basically said he went from a 240-250 hitter to over 300 because he learned the strike zone. And he was able to identify pitches better, uh, better eye, all that good. And he is a very big advocate of Sammy Sosa going to the Hall of Fame, having his number retired. Um, and, you know, I guess I guess to me, and you guys may agree or disagree, that where the sour feelings come from in terms of the cheating allegations, it's more of the fact that it was done and not necessarily the results. Well, I disagree with that. I mean, home runs, there, there's, there's absolutely no doubt that his home run numbers his power numbers could be distorted by steroids. There's, there's, you can't deny that. I mean, and God only knows how many games he got away with using a corked bat, too. Yeah, if you, if you, I, you know, it, it, steroids definitely help you hit more home runs, I think, because it helps you hit the ball farther. But if you look at uh, his, you know, yearly batting averages, his batting averages uh, went up quite a bit uh, later in his career. I'm just looking at his. Um, annual totals here in 1997 he batted 251 in 1998 he batted 308 and he by 2001 he was up to 328 mm-hmm. and you know, I it's 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 not even just home runs either i mean you think about you know maybe line drives that had enough oomph behind them to to sneak past a fielder i mean all sorts of stuff like that i've never liked the argument that steroids don't make you a better hitter that is just patently untrue, because if that was the case, people wouldn't do it. Well, people did it for home runs. That's why they did it. So then how can you make the case that steroids don't make you a better hitter? Is, is, are home runs not part of hitting? Well, yeah, they're part of hitting, but that's the ball going further. I'm talking you, about it, identifying the, the ball pitches hit. and making contact. Right. There's that part of it. And then there's also how hard you hit the ball. I mean, that's you, you can't disassociate steroids from from batting skills. You just can't. Well, and I think that part of it, too, and another reason why players take them, perhaps, is because it um, extends their careers. Like you look at somebody like Roger Clemens, he pitched well into his 40s. And we know that he took steroids. I mean, would he have been able to do that had he yeah. not been taking? Yeah, his velocity was going up as he was getting older. <laughs> When does that ever happen unless you're on something? Or you're Nolan Ryan because Nolan Ryan was a freak. <laughs> Just throwing that out there. But yeah, I mean, 
Well, I mean, with pitching, a lot of that goes into the legs and that gives you the power. And I mean, that's, I mean, that's a little different. And I mean, I, I get what you're saying about home runs and hitting and better hitting. I'm just saying that his overall approach as a hitter, it changed through a lot of adjustments. That is only one facet of, of that job, though. I, I just don't think that it's right to make that disconnect between the two. I, to, it, it's, it's still, at the end of the day, just an excuse. I'm not saying it's an excuse. I'm just saying you're putting the pieces together on how he became a better player. That's all I'm trying to say, is that he did make a lot of adjustments, and his swing was different. If you compare 1996 to 1998, you do see the differences. Well, he became a better hitter uh, in terms of, you know, being able to hit more home runs and being able to hit for a higher average. But you look at like his he used to be he used to be a 30 stolen base guy early in his career. Towards the end of his career, he wasn't stealing hardly at all. Yeah, he used to be uh, a 30 30 guy. His his defense, um, his, his defensive numbers uh, went down quite a bit towards the end of his career, presumably because he didn't have as much range as he used to. So, that, so you know, steroids can, it, it helped him, it may have helped him become a better home run hitter. It may have even helped him become a better hitter to some extent. But in terms of becoming a better all-around player, there are some facets of his game that may have suffered because of it. Now, that stolen base thing, that's, that's very, very true. He used to be a 30-30 guy. You know, by the time he was hitting home runs, you weren't, watching Sosa steal bases at all. No, that's, that is a good point. Um, I just wanted to read that part of the interview because I think it's interesting that he was endorsed by a coach like that uh, because we know for a fact that not everybody on the Cubs, you know, who worked with him at the time was going to endorse him. I, and again, also keep this in mind too. 1998, the team in 98 was pretty different than the one in 0304. In 98, mm-hmm the team going into the season was irrelevant and bad and they had a lot of different players. So, you know, they were all about this newfound fame, even if it was mainly focused on Sosa, you know, you get to 2003, 2004, when they're actually trying to win a world series, the team was almost completely different. I mean, yeah, you had Kerry Wood, but you know, 1998, you didn't have Moises Salou. You didn't have Carlos Sombrano. You didn't have Mark Pryor. You didn't have uh, Corey Patterson. You didn't have Derek Lee. You didn't have Todd Hollinsworth. You didn't have uh, Michael Barrett or any of those guys. And, uh, you know, you saw the sour relationships really turn towards the end of 2004. Yeah, and it kind of, the, the seeds for that were kind of sown, I think. You know, a lot of people forget um, Sosa in, in 2000. Sosa was very nearly traded to the Boston Red Sox. I actually heard a, uh, I remember hearing a radio report one day saying that it was a done deal. Um, they didn't, uh, it, it ended up not happening and he ended up signing an extension and he played with the team for a few more years. But um, there was, um, there were some bitterness, some bitterness and some sour feelings even as far back as then. And then we had, we got into 2003, we had the cork bat, uh, we had the incident where he sneezed and ended up on the disabled list. I remember uh, we, that. Yeah, we had um, we had the uh, the incident where he walked out uh, at towards the end. And that, that 2004 team, uh, there were I don't know how to say it other than there were several hotheads on that team. So we can't lay the blame all on Sosa on that one. But um, I, I think I think a lot of people forget to, for for somebody who followed Sosa's career so closely as I did. 
Um, I think a lot of people forget that I think for it, it wasn't just towards the end. I think that there were some uh, personally to me, it seemed like there were some bitter feelings going on for several years there. Oh, I'm sure there were. I'm sure there were that we didn't hear about. It's just it seemed like towards the end, things really boiled over. You know, I mentioned the boombox thing. And, you know, I, I think I think Sammy may have worn off on a few people after just, a, you know, right after 1998. They were they were happy in 1998 when they were being carried to the postseason. But, yeah, I definitely think there were some sour feelings starting to turn even at the turn of the decade. And I'm sure the corked bat in 2003 didn't help either. Right. Yeah. And and that's and that was a good point that was brought up earlier. You know, how how do we know how long he got away with doing that, too? Yeah, I mean, I know they did the scans and they said no other bats had it. I don't know if that counts for ones before, but it probably meant the ones after. So, you know, it might have been a, just a matter of getting caught. Um, and, you know, I've actually seen that cork bat in person. It's at the Chicago Sports Museum and they have that sitting out there and you see the cork right inside of it. Um, kind of an interesting thing to look at. You realize how big their bats are. But anyway, um, here's kind of my take on the whole 2004 walkout thing. I know his teammates more than anybody were pretty upset by that, and they still might be upset by that. That is one thing, in my opinion, that I think is between him and his teammates, because let's not pretend like every celebrated athlete was a great teammate. Mm -hmm. I mean, come on. I, that, that I think is more of a personal thing on them, but you know, Brian, you said that you were personally hurt by that. And I feel that because when that happened in 04 as a kid, I took like my Sammy Sosa bobbleheads and like threw them against the wall. I was so mad. So I, I understand exactly how you feel. I just think that what 16 some years later, uh, that's kind of moved past my my feelings and that's just kind of a matter of him and his teammates figuring that out but again that's just me yeah and i've i mean there there are several reasons why i kind of lost my sammy sosa fandom over the years and i've been uh listing them you know throughout the throughout this uh, recording here um but you know i i feel like like i said towards the beginning you know it's been a decade and a half I would like, I, I think both sides have some work to do to resolve the issue. Um, but if, if Sammy Sosa comes back to Wrigley Field and throws out a ceremonial first pitch or something like that, I would be happy to see that. But there's still a big part of me that would have my guard up, too. I, I still, um, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, it's just not going to be the same as it once was, in my opinion. I agree. That's kind of how I stand. Um, any final thoughts on Sosa for many of you guys? No, I think I, I I've pretty much said all I wanted to say. I think my my feelings are are pretty much out there now. Uh, there isn't really anything he could do or say that would change my mind about him coming back and being inducted into the Hall of Fame, having his number retired, all that stuff. I think that I think that that's the bed he made, and I think he he needs to live with that. Uh, I would respect him, though, as a person if he showed a little more contrition and could admit to his wrongdoings. Uh, but beyond that, I, I'm not an advocate of his for for celebration of Hall of Fame uh, at, back at Wrigley, all that stuff. And, you know, I've, I've kind of taken the road where 
I respect how people feel because it affected us all differently. Those who watched him, those who heard about him, those who were kind of on the fringe. I mean, I watched Sammy Sosa as a very young kid. He was the first superstar I witnessed play of my teams. I was too young to remember the last dance in the second half of the Michael Jordan dynasty. You know, I don't remember watching Jordan or Pippen play. I mean, I remember when he came back as an old man in like 03, 04, but that obviously wasn't the dynasty bulls. And, you know, at the time the Blackhawks were irrelevant, the bears were bad. Uh, So Sammy Sosa was my big form of sports entertainment as a kid. And I can't lie saying that I would like to feel some of that nostalgia again, but you know, my feelings are a little complicated too. And you know, I don't think they'll ever go away, but I think after all this time, I am willing to say, you know what, if you want to come back, I will welcome you back. And for the people who want to celebrate it, celebrate it. For those who don't, you don't have to. One qu- one last question I want to ask you guys on this subject. It's just a simple agree or disagree. Do you agree that feelings among the entire fan base as a whole were different just 10 years ago compared to now. Because I think if you asked 10 years ago, you'd have a lot more people kind of apprehensive about it, where now I feel like things have changed. And part two of this question is, how did the Cubs winning the World Series affect the way people feel about it? I want to hear what you guys have to say. I think uh, I think partly, I think partly the reason why the overall feeling on Sosa has changed is that I think this the younger generation now tends to be a lot more forgiving about that sort of thing. Uh, and as, as far as the Cubs winning the world series, you know, I'm not sure if that really changed anyone's opinions. I think that what, you know, whatever they thought before 2016 is probably what they feel now. If anything, I think that, that winning the World Series should give fans something new to hold on to because maybe some people feel like, you know, before they won the World Series, maybe some people feel like all they've really got to hold on to as far as fond memories are the Sosa days. Uh, But now they've got the championship. So maybe in that regard, but I think overall, probably people's opinions haven't changed much. Yeah, I think the um, I I think that just the fact that we're further distanced from uh, everything that happened, the steroids, the walking out, um, and you know David Kaplan was making the point that you know oh we're living in really difficult times right now, and this is something that needs to be healed. Um, I I think the passage of time, just the fact that we've had more time to put things in perspective uh, and realize what's important, what's not important, I think that that has changed some people's minds. Um, so I would agree with that. Regarding the team winning the World Series, I think that, you know, I think about, um, you know, when when the when the when the Cubs won the World Series, gosh, it's hard to believe it's almost been four years now. But um, when it happened, a lot of people, you know, you saw a lot of posts on social media and stuff. Oh, they did it for Harry Carey and for Ernie Banks and for Ron Sano, who didn't get to see it happen. And it's like, well, you know. Cubs fans absolutely love Ernie Banks and they love Ron Sano and they love Harry Carey, even though, uh, well, Harry Carey was just an announcer, but, um, you know, Banks and Santo and that whole group, they weren't 
Um, they weren't a part of a championship team. And it's like, oh, well, they weren't part of a championship team. And, well, Sosa wasn't, you know, Sosa couldn't get it done, but these guys finally got it done. And I think because of that, I think that that has, um, that's kind of changed, maybe has changed people's perception of Sosa a little bit, that he's just, that he's another uh, important part of this team's history and the story that led to what finally happened in 2016, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I definitely hear that. I think that makes perfect sense. Um, just to kind of answer my own question and kind of play off what you guys said, the 2016 World Series was obviously the biggest thing we've seen from this franchise in our lifetimes, in our parents' lifetimes, and in our grandparents' lifetimes. My personal opinion is I think people would be looking to hold more nostalgia to Sammy Sosa had they not won. And I think that people were really starting to talk about it in the early 2010s when we were reaching like a decade since he was a Cub. But then the Cubs got good, started winning playoff series and winning a World Series, and then it kind of got shoved aside. But here we are. So far, 2020, it's June, we've had no baseball yet, and we've watched the Cubs kind of slip downward. So naturally, we kind of go back to those nostalgic feelings. Obviously, a lot of it is the World Series because it was so big, but I think it's given us an opportunity to think about Sammy Sosa again. And I think that a lot of people were thinking about that very heavily when they hit like the decade mark, like 2014, and then things happened. That's just that's just how I how I feel. Because if you guys remember, in the early 2010s, a lot of Cubs stuff was coming out in terms of, oh, Catching Hell, the Bartman documentary, uh, looking at the 03 Cubs and a few other things. Like, I think uh, CSN Chicago did a documentary. So Sammy Sosa's name kind of came back up in the media light again. Because I'd say from 2008 to 2010, there was that chunk right there where Sammy Sosa really wasn't on a lot of people's minds but when these documentaries came out when some of these specials on TV came out and Sammy Sosa was talked about and people realized you know we're coming up on a decade since he was a cub that's when the you know the Sammy Sosa stuff started turning in people's heads and then it went away with all the good stuff here's here's actually something I will admit part of me wants the Cubs to bring Sammy Sosa back just for the reason so we can stop talking about it. I feel like we've hmm. kind of beaten this thing to death. And they just bring him back, give him a day. The people who want to enjoy it, enjoy it. We can just kind of be done with it. Just move on from it. I don't know what you guys think. I don't know. I, I think the, the the more time passes, I think the more fans will just accept and realize, you know, this isn't going to happen, and that's fine. Move on. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point because, um, and, and I, I, it's it's really interesting that there's been such a such a huge revival in this in this topic lately. Um, I'm not sure. I don't know if it's because you know we we just haven't had any live baseball and we need some things to talk about or whatever, but. Um, I, I think that, you know, this documentary is going to get a lot more people talking about it for sure. Uh, I we'll think that's had, why a lot of people are talking about it is because of that. 
Yeah, and we'll have we'll have had you know a full generation basically since the since the home run chase happened um, of of time to reflect and perspective and all that. And um, yeah, I agree. This is something that has been talked about a ton. Um, I think you know people have very entrenched opinions on it. Um, I don't think a lot of people are going to change each other's minds about it, but I do think that I, I think there's something to that. That if we just said, hey, we're just gonna we're not going to retire his number. We're not going to build him a statue or anything. We're just going to let him throw out a first pitch or whatever. I think that that would, even the people who are against bringing him back, I think that some of them, I think that it would just kind of ease their minds a little bit. Yeah, exactly. And I think that to your point, Adam, about time kind of making people forget it and accept it, I think it will take some time for that to happen. But let's say they don't bring him back for another 10 years then I think you'll start to get people thinking that, heck, I kind of thought that after the World Series, I'm like, all right, we're in a new era. It's a new time. We're going to be going back to the postseason year in, year out, and we're not even going to worry about it anymore. Hmm. But it's like the second that things kind of go awry earlier than we expect, and you know the fact that there's no baseball whatsoever, these things kind of have a way of creeping back in. So. Yeah. You know, it's, it's it's you know it's all about what deciding what we want our standards to be. To quote Walter Sobchak, I'm talking about drawing a line in the sand, dude. <laughs> <laughs> and I can't quote the rest of the line because this is a family friendly show. Oh man, I wish that I wish I could talk more about that movie on here. Oh, <laughs> by the way, I just saw the spinoff. Of oh, the I've not heard good things. What do What do you think? It's bad. Yeah, that's it's what, bad. That's that's mostly what I've heard. Yeah, <laughs> I, I could just tell you right now, it has absolutely no tie-ins to the Big Lebowski whatsoever. Bowling, there's about five minutes of it. Five minutes. Uh, see, I just. Yeah, I I don't want to watch something that could potentially change the way I look at the Big Lebowski. It won't change the way you look. Actually, if you watch it, you'll appreciate the Big Lebowski even more. Okay. I I still probably won't watch it. Yeah, don't waste your time. (laughs) Yeah, I've not heard good things from anyone. Yeah, it's it's not good. Uh, You know, I wasn't expecting a whole lot. But I thought, hey, you know what? Maybe I'll chuckle at a few jokes. Maybe they'll I, make a few well, uh, references. But no, I think I think part of what what made that character so great it was just the mystery behind him. That's not a character that I wanted a backstory on, because the, it's the the mystery of it all is is what made his character so funny. Like right. the whole the whole what's the what is the deal with this guy? Uh, so making this the spinoff of his backstory is I don't think that's anything people wanted really right exactly i feel like if you were going to make some sort of spin-off you could involve him but him being the central character you're like you watch it and you say this isn't interesting at all he's yeah, just a, think a guy it, that got out of jail yeah it kind of takes away from the allure of the the character even even if it was more geared towards the big lebowski it would obviously never be anywhere close to it and the other thing, too, that's kind of sad is, you know, John Turturro, I know he put this all together, but he looked kind of just half into it, even as woes were not on par with 
what he originally did in 1990. What it come out? 98, 97, 98. I think was it 98. I think so. <laughs> Common theme here. 1998. So yeah. anyway, that's my little spiel on that. Um, <laughs> before we wrap up here, we got the draft tonight, the MLB draft. And obviously baseball Twitter is all over it and they're tracing what is going on. Uh, we are just one pick away. Uh, the 14th pick was just made. The Cubs are 16th. So what I want to do is stay on this show and uh, let's find out who the Cubs get, shall we? All right. So while we kind of fill some time, let's talk about the draft itself. I just wanted to express some feelings here. I love, 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 love the people on Twitter who do the in-depth analysis on the guys. Because that's a lot of guys to keep track of. And there's obviously a lot of various talent on the board. I just think that baseball is a pretty big crapshoot when it comes to the draft. Unlike football, unlike the NBA. So it's both more interesting and not as interesting. Because when you go into the NFL draft... You you know who's going to be the big stars. Who's going to get them? That, it, that's who you hold to. It's kind of, to me, it's not really interesting to me at all. I mean, I it, I like I like researching the guys the Cubs take after they pick them. But you know, I, I'm not much of a, a mock draft kind of guy, uh, big board, all that sort of stuff. I have a hard time getting into it because the reality is, is most of these players, if not all of them, are going to spend some time in the minor leagues before they right. actually get to the show, if they even get to the show. Uh, so to me, that just has always made the MLB draft a little boring to me. You know, I, I like the NBA draft and I like the NFL draft because those guys, they get dra- the, those first rounders, they get drafted and then they're, you know, they're, they're playing for their team right away. Uh, so, so it makes that worth watching whoever the Cubs take tonight. You're not going to see him next year. Reality is you're probably not going to see him the year after that either. Yeah, so it's hard to get too excited about it. Baseball is the one sport where you see nobody go straight to the bigs because even in hockey, where there's a lot of minor league, your top stars go yeah. right to the NHL. Like Patrick Kane, he went right to the NHL and they just, they just don't, I, they don't garner the same sort of national attention that the top tier guys out of high school do in football and basketball. Like, you know, going into tonight's draft, could you name me five players that you were sure were going to go in the first round just off the top of your head without having to look it up? Personally, me, no. Um, Brian, how much, how much do you do with the draft? Do you do a lot of research analysis? Uh, What about you? And I'm not saying people can, I'm just, uh, sorry to interrupt, Brian. All I'm saying, because some people do research it and get really into it. All I'm saying is that we can't because they, it just doesn't get the same kind of coverage. You know, when it, when it comes time for NFL draft, NBA draft, the talk shows constantly talking about the guys that are going to go in the first round doesn't happen with baseball. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat as that. Um, I think you made the point that you kind of wait to see who your team's going to pick and then research them. Then I'm kind of in the same boat. I, I have a lot of admiration for people that really take the time to, um, you know, investigate these prospects and, you know, see where they might fall and how they might fit into people's into uh, teams, farm systems and all that. I have a lot of respect for people that do stuff like that. Um, for for me, it's just basically I'm kind of the same way. Tell me who the Cubs got. 
Um, what are their strengths? Um, when are they going to get to the big leagues? One one thing that I'm um, and I've I've written about this on Cubby's crib before. One one thing that um, has really bothered me throughout the Theo Epstein era is that even though you know we got a championship, we've had four postseason appearances and all that. This organization has not, that I can think of off the top of my head, drafted, developed, and graduated to the majors one real impact pitcher. Yes. I mean, they, 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 I, I, I mean, can, can you think of even one? No. That's, we, Alex and I have talked about this so many times that that is one of the biggest flaws of this Cubs team, this organization as a whole, is their lack of developing homegrown pitchers. Well, we hit the nail on the Jake head there. That. That's, yeah. that's one of the biggest issues this team has got right now, for sure. And it's it's pretty much the exact opposite approach that of of the Jim Hendry teams of the early two thousands is that they developed uh, Kerry Wood, Mark Pryor, Carlos Zambrano, and that group, yeah. and then they went out and uh, got through trades and free agency. They brought in. Uh, the veterans, the Moises Alou, Eric Karros, Mark Grudzelanek, guys like that. Yeah. Um, this this regime is, has taken the exact opposite approach, is that they drafted the position players, which they've done a very good job of doing, at least in the early years. And then they went out and brought in, from outside the organization, John Lester, Jay Carrietta, right. and all of them. Um, so it's it's interesting that that the two regimes took exact opposite approaches, but the, the fact that they're just not developing any uh, talent from start to finish on the, on the pitcher's mound is just that, 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 that's, I think that's a huge reason why this team, um, has not, uh, had more success. I mean, but they haven't had more successes is for that reason, more than any. It's particularly annoying because it's, it's the opposite approach of teams in the NL central now. I mean, you you look at a team like like the Cardinals, and that's that's been one of their strengths is is developing pitchers, and so it's yeah. really annoying to to see the Cubs not be able to do that. And you know, it, it it's one thing to prioritize one area like the position players, but it's another thing to just totally disregard the other areas. And yeah, it's it's starting to really bite them in the butt bad because. As I've said before, eventually the well runs dry and needs replenished. You can't go out and get a guy like Lester every year. One, they're just not always available on the market. And two, there there really aren't any teams that can afford to 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 make that sort of investment every time they come on the market. It just eventually you get to a crossroads where you have to address that problem. That's where the Cubs are at now. They find themselves in trouble in the pitching department. Not a single one of their starters was drafted by the Cubs. The closest no. thing to developing was when we traded for Kyle Hendricks. So he worked yeah. in the minors a little bit with the Cubs, but he was drafted and came up with the Rangers. But mostly, well, not yeah, all, but. mostly, mostly developed in Texas. Yeah, right. And then obviously John Lester was not. Obviously, you Darvish was yeah. not. Neither was Jose Quintana. And whoever your fifth starter is right now. If you looked at the depth chart, it would be Tyler Chatwood. He wasn't. Alec Mills, he wasn't from the Cubs organization originally, I don't think. I kind of can't remember where he no, came I, from. No, I want to say he came from Kansas City, maybe. I know he came, he came from somewhere. But, uh, yeah, you think about the pitchers the Cubs have had that they've drafted. Some have become relievers, but no impact starters. We've been hoping in Adbert Alzale 
And I think Adbert Alzale has some promising stuff, but we see the injuries. Uh, to go on the Jose Quintana thing, I thought that while at the time I thought it was the right move and I'll still defend that move, it kind of hurt me when I saw that they were trading away Dylan Cease. Not going to lie. Yeah, I think it, I, I still, and I, I know we've talked about this before, I, I still think that was that trade was the right trade to make. It just simply has not, Quintana just simply hasn't pitched right. like he needed to to make right. that work. I still think it was the right decision, though. Yeah, I think the other thing, too, about that whole thing is we can play scenarios all day if we still had him, if we still had that, if we had traded for Verlander instead, you know, I'll always have my stance that at the time it was the right thing to do while acknowledging that I knew we lost quite a bit that was going to be potentially good for the future. I mean, we knew that the Sox were going to win that trade in the long run, but Eloy Jimenez to me was always going to be trade bait, but I thought Dylan Cease was going to be a part of the future before that trade. Because the kid's got some really good stuff. He does have some injury issues, but the stuff is really, really good. And we need some guys in the system with really good stuff, swing and miss stuff. It's just been too long since we've had an impact starter come up. You know, Adam, you and I were talking a few shows ago. And Brian, let's see what your take on this is. In terms of overall success, I'm not talking about the most talent or the most potential. But success over a solid amount of time. We said that probably the best pitcher that the Cubs have drafted and actually panned out overall was probably Carlos Sembrano. Obviously, the most talented was Mark Pryor, but he got hurt. Kerry Wood had a ton of talent and overall had a nice career, but the injuries really derailed. With Carlos Sembrano, you got what? a good number of years out of him where he was an all-star caliber starter and an ace. And then things kind of went downhill when he reached his thirties, which I think was more mental than physical. But when you think about it, he's the guy that pitched a number of years for you as a starter and was overall pretty durable and gave you good outings regularly. I mean, what's your take on that? Are what what time frame are we talking about here? The past like twenty years, or yeah, we're talking since like Greg Maddox, so like and, the mid late eighties, like yeah, twenty Greg, thirty years. Yeah, because Greg Maddox came to mind for me. But if you're talking about after Greg Maddox, um, honestly, off the top of my head, I'm having a hard time thinking of somebody that panned out better than Carlos Zambrano. Um, yeah, you mentioned Mark Pryor, which would have, but he couldn't, he would have, but he couldn't stay on the field. Um, Kerry Wood had a nice career, but again, you know, injuries prevented it from being all that it could have been. Um, yeah, I'm just, I'm not thinking of anybody that's panned out better than Carlos Zambrano, really. Well, to, uh, stop this conversation really quick, the pick is in. The Cubs are taking local kid Ed Howard. Ah, yes, Ed Howard. He is not related to Mo or Curly Howard or Shemp Howard, (laughs) to my understanding. What about Ryan Howard? Mm, I don't think so. Okay. Phillies or the office? 
<laughs> I was just going to ask that. <laughs> Are we talking about the slugger for the Phillies or the youngest uh, executive in Dunder Mifflin history? Either one, I suppose. <laughs> but yeah, that that's who they got. Um, I can't say I have a full scouting report on him, but that is who they are taking. I think for next week's show, we're going to do some research and we'll talk more about that at the time. But there you go. Ed Howard is the first round pick from Mount Carmel High School. The local boy. Shortstop Ed Howard, formerly star of Jackie Robinson West National Champs. Howard rated the best high school infielder in the draft by Baseball America. So there's just a few of the accomplishments he had. You know, I thought the Cubs would have gone a few other routes here. Like, one thing that they've done very well is develop college kids. I mean, look at Chris Bryant, Kyle Schwarber. So I thought maybe they'd go that route, or maybe they'd go a pitching route. But this is the route they decided to go. Ryan, do you have any thoughts? Well, we know that they're um, set at shortstop, at least for the short term. But um, but like we talked about before, you know, you know, these players usually take a few years to develop. And um, I, I've always felt that even though I'm not I wouldn't call myself an expert on the draft, I, I always feel like you should always take the best player available, regardless of position and worry about who's going to play where later. Um, so I. You know, they they probably they must have determined he was the best player, and I'm sure they'll figure out what to do with him eventually. Well, yeah, that's kind of what they did exactly. Uh, the whole take the best player available philosophy, and I know that's one that a lot of sports execs live by. So there you go, best high school infielder, and arguably the best guy left on the draft board, according to some people. But you know, again, uh, Baseball America and MLB Baseball Prospectus, all those all those people rake. Uh, rank a little differently, but I think it's uh, it's pretty clear he was one of the better guys on the draft board, no matter who was ranking them, being 16 overall. So there you go. All right, well, that is just going to wrap things up here on Climbing the Ivy. Brian, thank you for coming on. Adam, thank you as always for being my co-host. I want to thank everybody for listening. A reminder, you can check out Cubby's Crib at cubbyscrib.com. You can also check out this podcast on itunes.com Also, be sure to check out their social media pages on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Until next time, he's Brian, he's Adam, I'm Alex. Have a great night. We'll talk to you next week.